think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. I'm back. Made it safely back from the SBC annual meeting. I did not die. At least I don't think I died in traffic, although I'm not entirely certain it is Illinois. They may have just not told me yet that I'm still underneath an overpass somewhere. But for those of you who are wondering, we will get into some of the details about what happened at the annual meeting. I'll call it the annual meeting. I'll call it the convention. Both names are appropriate. But we're going to start that tomorrow. So hopefully Lou will be in and his life won't get in the way of everything. You know, the nerve of some people having like family and jobs and things that go on outside of what occurs in our little podcasting world. The nerve of some people. So either way, though, if we have Lou or we don't have Lou, we will dive into some of the issues and go over for the next couple of weeks, actually, on a Wednesday, some of the things that occurred at the convention because I think they're worthwhile understanding and going through them because they relate to the Christian world at large and understanding what is going on with the largest Protestant denomination in the United States is important for what is understanding what is going on in the evangelical world at large. But that's tomorrow. Today we are back to talking about your brain and trying to rewire it to think biblically. So we are going through our worldview foundations. If you do not know what they are, then I'm not sure we can be friends. You need to stop, go back, and listen to the other stuff. And if you don't, I mean, it'll do you good. But if you don't, this will still make some sense. But it won't be as rich and fulfilling as you would like it to be. And let's be honest, in 2021, isn't that what all of the world is about? Is having your life be rich and fulfilling. So... We are in Deuteronomy simply because Deuteronomy comes after Numbers. And we went through Numbers because it comes after, wait for it, Leviticus, which comes after Exodus, which comes after Genesis, which is where we basically found all of our foundations and had a blast going through them. So if you don't remember what we're doing, going through the book, understanding some of it, understanding the general scheme and arc of the story of Scripture, but applying how we understand it and how we apply it through our knowledge of who God is and the foundations of our understanding for Him and His Word. So, Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah opposite Suf. Just in case anybody ever asks you why you can trust your Bible, it's details like that. No, once upon a time, <coughs> excuse me, no, you know, there was this dude in this place, that time with those people. No. Across the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. That's details, folks. I was in a car for um, like 20 hours last week on two days, and I can't give you the details of where I was like that. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in, who lived in Ashtaroth, and Edre, across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying... Now, that's a long, drawn-out way to remind you of where the Israelites are. Wandering in the wilderness, not yet entering into the land because of their sin. And yet, they have not been forsaken. 
they have not been forgotten because this long-suffering God who is their Savior has been delivering and sanctifying them through this 40 years of wandering. 40 years to make an 11-day journey, not because they got lost, but because they got punished. There's a difference. Again, also notice the details, the specificity with which their location and what has occurred is given. Moses is going to deliver his final word to God's people. The last of the important things that he would like them to know. Before you do that, though, just like with the commandments, you ever you ever notice when you're reading your commandments? We pointed this out, I believe. It's not just God showing up in the mountain going, hey, don't kill people. Don't worship other gods. Don't take my name in vain. There's a formula. There's an understanding that this God has a right to speak, and he proclaims that. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who redeemed you from the house of slavery. Therefore, there, it's an understood therefore. Well, Moses is going to do that here with the Israelites. <coughs> Excuse me. He is going to run through some of these things and remind them through chapters 1, 2, and 3. That God spoke with us at Horeb. I warned you then. I charged you. I um, I charged your judges to hear cases. We set out from Horeb. We approached me. Let us go before God. You were not willing to go into the land. The Lord heard the sound of your words. He was angry. We turned and set westward. Recounting in chapter two all the wanderings of the wilderness. By the way, that was a quick jump through of chapter one, reminding them of all the interactions that they have had that have led them up until this point. That's important because. Humanity is busted, and we will lie about everything, and we will forget whom we are dependent upon, that we need God. We will forget that he is the one who preserves us. We will forget that he is the one who is accomplishing all of these things, and we will trust in ourselves and be like, oh yeah, well, what exactly has God done? Moses says, before you even ask me that question, I'm going to tell you precisely what God has done. So they recount in chapter 2 all the wanderings, how the messengers went, where they went, the battles that they had. Chapter 3, how they defeated Bashan, um, Og, of, Og of Bashan and Sihon and the Amorites and all of these guys. The Sidonians, Hermon, Syrian, Amorites, Sinir, taking possession from our, our Aurora. There's a name for you if you're looking for a kindergarten, you know, a, 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 a unique name in kindergarten. Name your kid Aurora. I mean, there you go. Pleading with God, all of these things. Now, why again? Because Moses is laying out two things that needs to be that need to be remembered for Israel. One, that God has preserved them through all of this. God brought them out of Egypt. God gave them a law that they disobeyed. God preserved them in this wilderness. God gave them victory in battle. That's the first thing that's being reminded. The second thing that they're being reminded of? Moses has been here the entire time. He is old, he is tired, and he is sick of this people griping, complaining, and sinning against God. And this is kind of a little way of reminding them that all these things that God has done, I can tell you this story because I was there and I saw it. Therefore, 
What he will repeat is not new information, hence the word repeat, but he's going to be reminding them of the commands that God has given, and he has standing to do it because he has been a party and a witness to the successes and failures of Israel. Success when they have honored God, failure when they have not. Now, O Israel, chapter 4, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Notice now the third reminder. God has done all of these things. I have been a part of all of these things that God has done. And oh, by the way, excuse me, you have seen what happens when disobedience runs amok, and you did not fall into it. Good job. Now please continue to walk in that path. Continue to walk in the way. This is like when we talk about talk to Christians who are wah, wavering in sin and struggling in their sanctification, and we'll remind them of past victories and the joy of salvation by pointing them to the things that they have overcome in their lives and showing them the things that other people are overcoming, because it's a reminder that God is still at work. We're reminding them of the faithful, sanctifying work of God who is our Savior, as opposed to the long-suffering work of God who is the judge of sin. By reminding struggling Christians of this, we're pointing them to what is good and right and holy and encouraging them. This is how you build up without having to use fear. You don't have to just, you know, bang a pulpit and yell, y'all going to hell if you don't repent, which I got a lot of that at the convention from the protesters. But anyway, we can actually do it from the positive side, not just the negative side. Yes, there should be a negative reinforcement. Hey, disobedience to God leads to judgment. Yes, but obedience to God leads to blessings and peace and security. That's part of the positive side of this coin. And that's part of what Moses is going to weave in here. He is speaking to a people that know God, or at least they should, because they have experienced his goodness, seen it in action, while also seeing his judgments upon sin sin. In light of that knowledge, he can then proclaim, how now do we live? So he starts off with the same foundation God started off with. He repeats the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. He goes through the entire list, how he interceded for them, how he stood in the gap on the mountain and spoke to God when they didn't want to, rightly so, by the way. He starts on that same foundation because realize, excuse me, that all of the law that we get in Exodus and Leviticus is an expansion of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a summary of all of that law. That's why on Sunday morning when we, when, when we are now past the Ten Commandments in Exodus as we're preaching through, we didn't stop and quit. Because we can now apply those expansions and understand the principles behind them. Christian, this is what we're supposed to be doing in our world. When Jesus sums up the law, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. On these hinge the law and the prophets. 
Because that's a summary of the Ten Commandments. The first table talking about your relationship to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second table talking about your relationship to your man. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, you may ask, how should I love my neighbor as myself? You know what a good starting point would be? Don't kill him. Don't take his stuff. Don't sleep with his wife. Don't lie to him. Don't desire the life that God has given to him as opposed to the life that God has given to you. Everything else in the law is an outworking of that. Everything else in your life, Christian, should be under the knowledge that God is patiently working to sanctify his people and has given them a guidepost to understand how they walk in sanctification. Moses sees that and understands that and is doing the same thing. That's why once he has finished reminding them of the law, what's the kickoff? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That's a justification and an explanation of who God is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." that's a lot of your life. It's all of your life. In other words, the entirety of your life is a living out of how you love, honor, and serve God, both with the vertical components, no other gods, no idolatry, no blasphemy, and with the horizontal components, no murder, no stealing, no lying, all of those things. These things matter because they are the expansion in your life. Now, again, remember, who is Moses talking to? This is one of the things you have to remember, Christian. The world can't apply the law. The world can only be judged by the law. They are pagan. They do not know God. They only know him as judge. They do not know him as savior, creator, gracious, and loving father. Therefore, the law condemns them. But... For those of us that understand God as our creator, preserver, the one who upholds us, the one upon whom we are dependent, the one who has saved us and who has given us these means of sanctification, the one who is at work in us by the power of his spirit, who is accomplishing all of these things, we understand all of that. Therefore, we can actually apply the law in our lives day by day, week by week, year by year, understanding that that's the mechanism by which we root out the active work of sin in our lives. The passive work of sin is conquered by Christ. So the stain in the imputation of guilt from sin, the actual guilt of sin, that is removed by Christ. But now the active working in our lives, how we live, the Holy Spirit is inspiring us and utilizing the Word of God that we may actively root this out. That's what Moses is giving this people. This matters because when someone asks you, Excuse me. When someone asks you why we continue to read the Old Testament and why we care about these people in this time so long ago, it's because nothing has changed. And the work that we seek to do in explaining and applying the Word of God is the work that God's people have always been about. It's the work that Noah was doing for 120 years as he was building the ark and waiting for the rains. It was the work that Joseph was supposed to be doing in Egypt, what the Israelites were supposed to be doing in Canaan. It was the work that the Israelites are supposed to be doing as a nation, and Moses is doing that work here and now for the people, explaining who God is, what he, what he is doing, and how he is working with his people. So with that, you dive right in. 
and you get the warnings of what happens if you're disobedient, coupled immediately with what? The promises of God in obedience. The way that God has dealt with the people in chapter 8. The way that the people have sinned against him in chapter 9. The way that God in his patience rewrote the tablets for them. A sign of the covenant. Always realize that the Ten Commandments, we talk about the two tables of the law, but the two tablets are not the two tables. The two tablets are two copies of all Ten Commandments. That's why the Israelites got one and the Ark of the Covenant got one. No one looks in the Ark of the Covenant except for who? Except for God. So you put those tablets in the Ark of the Covenant, no one's going to see them but God. That's God's copy, a reminder of the covenantal relationship that the Israelites have and that he has with the Israelites. It's a reminder for God so the Israelite can take comfort and know that this God who is long-suffering will be long-suffering with me. How do I know that? Because he's got a copy of his promises. He's got a copy of his end of the bargain. He knows what he has done. That's why the man is there. It's a reminder of provision. That's why the staff is there. It's a reminder of authority. That's why the budding is there. It's a reminder of the choosing work of God. All of these things are there as a reminder that God is dealing with this people. He is accomplishing something, as one of our foundations would tell you. And that's why they're there. That's why it was so important that they be rewritten. Moses destroying that was destroying the testimony in his anger. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't justified. And I think you could point out that he was justified because God doesn't judge him for that. He doesn't enter the land. He isn't forbidden from entering the land because of that. It's for other dishonorings of God where he refused to treat the name of God as holy and struck the rock as opposed to speaking to it. His destroying of the tablets was right and good because it was a symbol to Israel that you are out of fellowship. You are on the verge of being removed from the presence of God. You are moving to the point of judgment because you are not his people when you are do when you are doing these things. <clears throat> That's important. That's key in understanding what's going on here in Deuteronomy. So likewise though, what does Moses continue to do? What happens when you're obedient? How will God bless his people in his land? How will the good, the bad and the ugly be taken care of for the Israelites? Understand this. This is basically an evangelistic gospel presentation. He has presented the law as a reminder of the hearts of the people. He has warned them of the consequences of continuing to walk in this way, and he has pointed them to the blessings of walking in the commandments. Christian, this is how we share the gospel, isn't it? We remind people by use of the law that they are sinners and that the judgment of God abides upon their sin and that if they continue in their wickedness, short of repentance, that they will be judged for their sin, standing before God in his wrath. But... If they repent of their sins, forsake the old ways, walk in the newness of life, then the, God, then the God of creation will sanctify them. They will stand before him blameless with great joy, no longer facing his wrath, but facing his blessing and peace. It's the same thing. This is what Moses is doing. And that's why, chapter 12, what do you get? Laws for the sanctuary. Chapter 13, a reminder to walk away from idolatry. Chapter 14, a reminder of what is clean and unclean. Chapter 15, the Sabbath and the years going into 16, which is the festivals, the ways you will worship, the way you will honor. Which, remember, the festivals are what? Reminders of the gracious work of God. Festival. Um, Passover is a reminder of what? The redemption of God in redeeming you from slavery in Egypt. The uh, tabernacles is a reminder of what? The wandering in the wilderness and how God preserved his people. Uh, Pentecost 
Feast of Weeks, First Fruits, is a reminder of what? That God has blessed this land, blessed you, and still continues to provide for you. By the way, Christian, isn't this the reminder? Aren't these the reminders that we get in worship why we partake of the supper? What do we do when we partake of the supper? We're reminded of the sacrifice for sin and the overcoming of our debt. We're reminded of the gracious provision of the Holy Spirit and how he continues to uphold his people. And we're reminded that God has not forsaken as we gather together with fellow believers. It's the same reminders that we have in the festivals. It's the same. Nothing nothing new under the sun. No new information. God is continuing to deal with his people. How are they to act justly in 17? Who are these Levites and what are they supposed to do? Why should we not be turning to idols and spiritists and sorcerers in 18? We have a prophet. That's where that great prophecy about the uh, prophet. The Lord your God will raise up for among you a prophet like me from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Don't go to the pagan nations. Don't cast the lots forever. Don't go to their sorcerers. Don't read the chicken entrails. But recognize that when the time comes for the message to be sent, God will raise up a messenger. The cities of refuge and why they matter, laws on how you go to war, dealing with crimes amongst families and and in the public, various laws on how you deal with things, things that are good for morality, sexual purity, people who are not to be a part of the assembly and worship. Why? Because the assembly of worship of Israel is to be a pure and holy people, as Leviticus says. Be holy for I am holy. That's why a casting out of sin from Jesus. When you go to the altar and you have something against your brother, put down your sacrifice and go to your brother and deal with it. Because as Peter tells you, Peter quotes from Leviticus and says says what? Be holy, for I am holy. It's the same reminder. You are to be a peculiar people. Dealing with marriage, personal relationships, 24, 25, the offerings of 26. And then you get what? Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones and coat them with lime and write in them all the words of this law when you cross over so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. Christian, that's a description of your life. He who perseveres to the end will be saved. What does that mean? Well, you persevered to the end because your long-suffering, patient God who is your Savior upon whom you are dependent is the one who is sanctifying you. Again, foundations matter. Because he is doing that work, you will persevere to the end. That's why your perseverance is so important. If you do not persevere to the end, it's because God has not been long-suffering and patient with you, but his judgment has abided upon you. You were not sanctified because you were not redeemed. Thus, you fell away. This matters because by walking in faithfulness, we are demonstrating the internal reality of our salvation. That's why Paul tells the Romans when they ask, or when the question comes up, you know, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. Absolutely, positively not. That would be atrocious. How are you who are dead to sin going to continue to live in it, he might ask, hypothetically speaking. No, you don't live like that because you recognize sin and you kill it, kill it with fire. You do not tolerate it. You do not love it. You do not coddle it. You put it to death with extreme prejudice. Welcome to what the Israelites are supposed to do. Welcome to also why we rejoice at the work of the Holy Spirit, because the history of Israel is a history of the vast majority of these people failing. It is a history of God (coughs) redeeming a remnant then, just as he is now. 
And we recognize that we stand because of the work of God on our behalf. We stand because of the internal motivations and pushings and strivings of the Spirit who is urging and groaning and shoving and carrying and dragging our dead sinful carcasses across the finish line, whether we liked it or not, because it is what we need, because it is what the gracious and loving Father has provided for us. 28. Blessings. So you got warnings, but you also are going to receive blessings. 29, the covenant gets made. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandal has not worn out on your foot. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink, in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. In other words, why is God doing all of these things? Why has he patiently, patiently preserved these people for 40 years? So that they would know there is a God in heaven. Why not just walk into Israel or walk, walk into Egypt and say, Pharaoh, I am Yahweh. Shut up, sit down, and let my people go. He could have. Snapped his fingers, looked at him cross, and Pharaoh had been like, peace, yo. You guys can leave now. I'm good here. Why not do that? As a demonstration to Pharaoh that there is a power here beyond that which you can fight. To demonstrate to the Israelites that there is a power here beyond which you can war against or that any nation can war against. To demonstrate that there is a God in heaven who has chosen a people that he will redeem and bless. That's why he tolerates them for 40 years. That's why he gives them a kingdom. That's why he upholds them in the land. That's why he sent the prophets. That's why he raised up for them deliverers. That's why he gave them kings. That's why he gave them scriptures. That's why he gave us all these things. So that we would know who he is, what he has done, what he has done for us, and how we are to live in light of these things, which is what Moses is pointing them to. Chapter 30. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him. I'm sorry, with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion upon you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. In other words, when you realize who you are and what God has done for you, God will still be there because he is patient and he is long-suffering and he has not forsaken the people that he is redeeming. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. This is the point. Christian, this is why we worship. This is why we sing, and this is why we pray, and this is why we read Scripture. We don't sing songs so that God can hear them. We sing songs so that we can hear them. We want to praise God in song, but the song should be reminders of who this great God is and what he has done for us and how we should live in light of that. They're reminders to our very souls. Reading your Bible is a reminder of the great gracious works of God and the ways that we have fallen short. Coming to him in prayer is an acknowledgement that you are dependent upon him and that you need his provision. <coughs> That you cannot and you have fallen short, but that he can and that he never fails his people. 
So final words, right? What do you leave them with? So Moses went and spoke all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord, your God, who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord, your God, is the one who goes before you. He will not fail you or forsake you. It's a reminder of God, who he is, what he's doing, and why he is doing it. Reminder of the covenant of people. And even then he tells them, you're going to fall away. We're picking Joshua right now. You're going to walk away. And when you walk away, go back to Deuteronomy 32, because there's a whole song to do what? Remind you of God and what he has done so that you will recognize in your sin that you have wandered. Again, Christian, this is why we still sing Amazing Grace. I mean, come on. This is why we sing three, four, five hundred-year-old songs, because they do a great job of what? Reminding me of, oh my goodness, how good is God? Oh my goodness, how terrible am I? Oh my goodness, how those two things should not go together, and yet they do. And oh my goodness, that he still loves me that he hasn't forsaken me, that he hasn't forgotten me, and that the, that the long-suffering that he shows to these Israelites is the same long-suffering he shows to me, that the just judge of all the earth has brought upon himself my condemnation, that he has taken my stripes, that he has given me his righteousness, and that he has given me his spirit by which I can walk in a new life, by which I can put aside these things. I can forsake evil. I can trust in him and I can follow his precepts with joy and satisfaction because of who he is and all that he has done. 33 blesses the people, the tribes of Moses, or the tribes of Moses, the tribes of Israel, just the same way that Israel did before his death. Because whereas Israel is that kickoff, kickoff patriarch, Moses is the deliverer of those people from an earthly point of view. He is the next link to God, a reminder that there is coming a blessing on the people of God, and it will come from one who is a deliverer. It's one of the ways that Moses pictures Christ in his work. And then you get to the end, and that's why the end is what it is. Since that time, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. In other words, we hadn't gotten another guy like that. We keep hoping for him, but he hasn't shown up yet. We know one day he will, but he hasn't yet because he's Christ. And when he shows up, to him shall be the obedience of peoples. To him you shall listen. To him will come the wisdom of God. From him will come teachings like which came down from the mountain. This is why the Sermon on the Mount is so important. It's Christ fulfilling that mandate. It's Christ demonstrating his knowledge and wisdom. It's Christ taking the mantle of lawgiver from Moses because Moses was always just a temporary holder. Christian, we have the better thing. We have the greater one. We have the one who fulfills all of these requirements, who conquers death, who takes away the wrath, who bleeds from himself on our behalf. 
we have to remember who God is and what he has done because this is what all of scripture is pointing to. These are why our foundations are so important is because they get to the root of the work of Christ. We're reminded that it is God who has made this people. It is God who has made this place and it is God who has redeemed us and who has kept us and who will keep us, who has died for us and who lives for us. This is why you have to retrain your brain to think in alignment with biblical principles. Because if you don't, you forget these great and glorious things. And we, as, as when we then, as Paul would say, are of all men most miserable. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You know the drill by now. You catch all that stuff. So hopefully tomorrow... No, not hopefully. Tomorrow we are diving into the convention. Hopefully Lou will be here. If not, we will still get all of that done because it's going to be a couple of weeks of trying to go through some issues. Again, biblically, I don't want to just get up here and wax poetic about what happened at the convention and why I think it was good, bad, or ugly. I want to actually base it upon Scripture so that we can think through these things from a biblical point of view. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.